My dear family in Christ, whose table is set. Today is a big holiday. And I'm not talking about opening day for the brewers. Um, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a holiday that a lot of people actually participate in. I asked Uncle Google uh, a couple days ago how many people participate in this holiday. And Uncle Google told me uh, that 62% of people have taken an active participation in the past. And even on a year-to-year basis, on the average, 25% of people participate. Maybe that sounds a little bit high to you. But I know what happened. This morning, um, I bet you some people got creative. And others maybe just settled back and just went to the old standby way to participate. Some husbands got up extra early. Maybe their wives didn't know why. They got up extra early and they snuck downstairs and they, they scrounged for a zip tie or a rubber band or a hair band and they went to that sink and they found a little spray hose and, and they, they put their little rubber band around that spray hose and then they sat back and they waited. They waited for the wife to come down and go in and get the water for the coffee. And when she turns that faucet on, she gets sprayed. And of course, the holiday is celebrated, April Fool's. That wasn't the holiday you thought I was talking about? I mean, April Fool's, it's, it's one of my favorite holidays, and I tend sometimes to go a little bit too far, but the numbers are true. 25% of people today pulled a prank on somebody or said something. Who here, who here participated in April Fool's Day today? There we go. I, I participated like a, a few too many times. Yeah. Who sometime in the past has been spritzed by water? Anybody had that happen to them? It's a classic. I've actually done that a couple different times, but most of the time I actually forgot and sprayed myself. That's, and so I don't, I don't do that anymore. I don't, I don't think my wife really appreciates it either, but it is, it is a, a fun way to, to celebrate a day. But here we are. We're gathering for a holiday where I don't think 25% of the people in America even know what day it is. They're much more concerned about April Fool's Day or, or opening day, but here we are, gathered as God's family, and it is a very big deal, and it's no fooling. No fooling at all. Because Jesus today, we're going to see, as, as the picture portrays, Jesus is with his disciples, and he's going to say something that really does sound foolish, and most people would think is silly. He's, he's standing right before them, or he's, he's reclining right next to them, and he's there with his body and his blood inside of it, and he's going to give them some bread and some wine, and he's going to tell them, this is my body. This is my blood. That sounds so foolish. He's there, his body's right there, but yet he says it, and unlike just my words, when Jesus says those words, not only was he not fooling or lying or analogizing, but his words actually made what he was saying happen. And those are the words that still makes it true today when later on we eat this common-looking bread and wine. We're going to be really eating Jesus' true body and blood by the power of his creative words. I mean, Jesus is the word, and at creation, it was the word that made things that were impossible before, that no one could imagine come true, including this whole world and, and us. And so when Jesus says those words, he certainly is not fooling. He's not going to say April fools and pull it back or say, I was just kidding. 
But this is this amazing gift we have that we can't understand. It's supernatural, and it's just plain super. And he designed it as a family meal. As we take a look at this family meal, like most family gatherings, at least when I gather with family around a meal, the conversation usually is trying to find something new. Maybe some of you will be like me, and you maybe haven't gathered as much with family for a while, and when I get together with my wife's family after Easter, I'm going to want to know what's new, what's surprising. Who's, who's going to be getting married? You know, who, who's going to have a baby? Uh, who's got some disease? Who's got some sickness? And so today, as I read uh, our text today, I want you to listen to a familiar account, but look for things that maybe are surprising to you. You might some, find some things that I don't mention, but let's look for these Maundy Thursday surprises. Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So we sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born." While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is God's word. Did you catch some surprises on this Maundy Thursday in this familiar account? Uh, maybe as you look at that picture, that was a, a picture that was unfamiliar to me. It just makes me think about how it really went on. How did it work? Who was there? What did it feel like? My first surprise is that it was surprising who got the meal ready. It says in verse 15, he will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready, make preparations for us there. It's not surprising to me that the Son of God, with his eternal power and knowledge, would be able to get that whole scheme working where they could walk to somebody and say, the teacher wants us to do this, and to get all that choreographed, that's not surprising to me. But it is surprising that Jesus would, would want to do that. I think if I was the Son of God in Jesus, and I'm sure you and I are all glad I'm not, I would have just prepared it myself. Why would I want a bunch of sinful clods that 
doing it, especially a bunch of men. Why would a bunch of some men to do it? I, I would just have snapped my fingers and just prepared everything myself and I'd have just thought, I just want these, I'll let these disciples be my guests because they're just, you know, they need me. But Jesus is a lot more loving than me. And he's certainly thinking of family a lot more than me. He's making this a family meal. These disciples here are not just guests and visitors. You know, when you're a guest and visitor, maybe the first time you come into a house, maybe... Um, you just start dating your future wife and you come in at first, they do everything for you, right? They do everything for you. But when you're really in, when you really become family, now you got to work. Now you get to work. Now you get to participate and be a family. And that's what Jesus was doing here where we chose some people we don't really hear, some unnamed people who kind of got the room started and ready and then these other disciples to do the rest of it and make the preparations. He could have chosen to just do it all himself, but he said, no, I, I want you to make it a true family meal. I want you to be part of the crew. And you know that's the way it works. Uh, just this last week, I'm blessed to have someone staying, the back, staying in the back part of my house. I have an Airbnb where my, my in-laws, Pastor Kurt and Sarah, have uh, now headed out to Watertown from. Uh, we have a, a nice young lady who is a brand new teacher in Milwaukee, uh, and her mother came up with her to check out the area as I look for a spot. And her mom moved from Haiti in 1979. And so if you know me, you know I have two of my children adopted from Haiti. And that got me talking. And then I knew Rebecca Metzger from St. Marcus. Her family is from Haiti. And we decided to have a Haitian, Haitian meal. And we just headed over at my house and it was great. But it felt especially nice and intimate and close because we all participated. Uh, the, the woman who moved from Haiti in 1979, she made the Haitian macaroni. Uh, which is really good. Uh, and then Rebecca Mesker, she made this really nice cake and she had this uh, like little uh, sugary thing we poured over the top that has this, uh, her husband calls it harbincourt, but it's, not, it's like this nice Haitian rum mix on there. It was really good. And I made the bread and my daughter cut up the fruit and the mangoes and, and, and my wife helped get everything set and welcome everybody. And we all put something into it and so it really was our meal because that's family. Maybe that's one of the reasons Lutherans historically have liked potlucks, because we all come together, we, we do something, not just, not just being a guest or a visitor, but being family, that's closer when you participate, and I never thought about it until I looked at this, that Jesus set this up, not as just, I mean, he's providing his true body and blood, he's providing the forgiveness and the big stuff, and only he can, but he invites his disciples, his sinful, broken disciples that were going to run away from him in a little bit to participate be part of the meal, be part of the plan. That's surprising. And it's a great surprise because Jesus, he's the one who paid for all of our sins, but yet he invites us to be on his mission and make disciples of all nations and participate and be part of a little family here. And a congregation is that when we gather around the table, we are family and we participate. And something a congregation can learn in St. Marcus does a really good job at but continue to learn is to make sure we don't just want people to come here as guests and spectators and visitors. It's great to have them, but before they leave, we want to make sure they're invited to be part of the family. Come in and do something. Participate. You don't have to wait till you, you've all been confirmed before you do something to help out and do things. Come on, and that's when you're part of the family. Uh, most of you that are here, I bet you that's when you really felt part of St. Marcus, when you did something, just a little something. 
And today you'll see that in action. We have different people who set things up in advance, a bunch of different musicians, people with the altar guild. That's how we're family. Just make sure to welcome in others and find ways for them to participate, just like Jesus did. Maybe it'll surprise them, and it's a good surprise of grace. That's my first surprise. Now, a second surprise that I, that I found was a matter of who was invited to be there. I'm sure the religious leaders of that day would have thought maybe the Pharisees and Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, would be invited to a Messiah dinner. But it says when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. The twelve. You know who they are, and we hear a bunch of their stories, and that Jesus, the perfect son of God, would invite them to have a meal. He knew that they'd run away from him in a little bit. He knew that they were sinful and all, had all sorts of problems. As we take a look at that picture Maybe you can try to start to guess who everybody might be, but it's quite a crew of differentiating people, and none of them look that great. You had first a bunch of fishermen that really weren't that educated, kind of rural, kind of hicks. You'd want them on your team. They're not probably very good at a lot of stuff. And then you get, you get some other people that, you know, were arrogant. James and John would have their mom try to get them a better position in heaven, and all these disciples fought over who was the greatest. And then just even the diversity politically. Um, we have Simon the Zealot is here. Um, if he was in our modern terms, he'd be wearing a hat that would have M-J-G-A on it, make Judea great again. He'd be a far right winger. Probably be on the violent side when you're a zealot like that. That was his background. And maybe on that picture, if you found him right next to him, might be somebody that would be a left-winger. Matthew, Levi, the tax collector. He, he would be into big government. He'd be in raising taxes. Maybe he'd be wearing a T-shirt that would say TCLM, Tax Collectors' Lives Matter. Right? Maybe PLM, Prostitutes' Lives Matter. That's what he'd, and he'd be politically on the other side. But now they're like next to each other. And Jesus says, you know, pull up a chair. I mean, we see him on chairs. They probably weren't sitting on chairs historically. They're actually reclining and probably not practicing social distance with one another, right? Another reason why Jesus is the only one who was willing to wash their feet, but it was needed. We have the denier. We have the betrayer. We have the doubter. And yet Jesus, knowing all of them, their past and their future, says, pull up a chair, sinner. I want you at my family dinner and I'm going to give you my true body and my true blood. It's crazy that Jesus, it's surprising that Jesus would have, have any one of them eat with him. But then he also asked them to eat together. That's even more surprising. And to the world to see this group of people, the right and left wing, educated, uneducated people all together, that was surprising. Maybe surprising to them as they looked around the table and they all thought, why did Jesus pick them? Maybe I, I think I know why he picked me, but why did he pick all of them? What a surprise to the world to see the one thing that could bring this group together, the family meal, Jesus' true body and true blood. And that's still the way it works tonight as we gather together. Oh man, we're quite a crew bunch of sinners that don't deserve any meal, let alone to sit around the Savior's meal. We deserve maybe just desserts or maybe a dish served cold, vengeful wrath from a God for our sins. 
But instead he says, come and pull up this warm chair. Let me give you my true body and true blood and take your sins away and here's your family. All joined together by that same unifying force, Jesus' true body and true blood. And hopefully as the world sees our little group of the family come together, that they're astonished and amazed that people like that could all come together. Because we do have a diversity of economics and history and religious upbringing and, and racial backgrounds and and people are confused because those people don't get along together. But for us to show the love of Jesus and we show it when we come together in a family meal, that's amazing and beautiful and wonderful. And as you look around, around the family table, you look around tonight, just marvel that grace was bestowed on all these types of different people. But hopefully you're most shocked when you think about yourself at the table because you know your sins. You know if anyone deserves to get kicked out of the meal, because they're not dressed right. They're not being polite. It's you. And yet Jesus says, I know you. I love you. I got a spot. I actually set a spot for you. It's reserved for you. Come on in. Come to the family meal. A second side to that surprise is maybe it's surprising who isn't there. You know, Jesus so often kind of blasted the gospel out in, in large groups and he hailed it out, the Sermon on the Mount, and he got it out there and he told his disciples to go out in pairs and, and he told them to baptize and later on he gave the mission, baptize all nations. Often his gospel distribution is just out to everybody. But it's surprising he did something different, that he chose with the Lord's Supper this kind of escape spot a quiet secluded upper room where everybody wouldn't see and it was just that immediate invited family where they knew each other and he knew them and he gave them his true body and blood and we do learn later on in the scriptures with some of the instructions i, I even read in the lesson that god has a little different way of gospel distribution when it comes to communion it's not something you just throw out to everybody of every age regardless of their instruction and level unlike the word and baptism, he says, this is a little different. You, you need to be able to remember Jesus and his death. You need to recognize his true body and blood. You need to be able to examine yourself. And you need to know the family that you're taking it with. There, there's not just a relationship with God in this, but we need to know each other. And that's why, you know, we practice that what some things, that some people have called close communion, but we want to have, do it his way. And it's just a little bit different. That's a little surprising and sometimes people are surprised and maybe you are a little surprised too. But the way Jesus did it is the right way. It's a beautiful family meal that keeps it special and it's a family that we get to expand and someone who maybe can't take, us with, take it with us now, we get to invite on in and welcome into the family and go from a guest and a visitor into a family member. The final surprise is certainly the menu. Verse 22, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. You know, Jesus could have done anything, and it would have been great. He could have taken that bread and wine right from the Passover meal, and he could have said, you know, this bread and wine is just going to be such a powerful analogy. When, when you eat and drink this, think of what I'm going to do for you. But he, he didn't say that. He didn't make it an analogy. He didn't have it make sense. He said, 
this is my body. This, this is my blood given and poured out for you. And, and it really sounded so foolish. I mean, he, again, he was right there. I mean, his body was right there. He was standing right in front of them, but yet he said, this is my body, this is my blood. It didn't make any sense to them then, and it doesn't make any logical sense to us now, but it even makes less grace sense that Jesus would come to us sinners and give us his true body and blood, that soon after this, Jesus would die on the cross and suffer hell in our place, and we've done nothing to deserve it. These disciples who would flee and run away from him in a little bit and be scared to death, he still wanted to give them his true body and blood for the forgiveness of their sins. Now, we're we're never going to understand how this works, these surprising words, but we can appreciate them and we can love them and we can take them to heart and just marvel at them. And we, we need to be careful that we don't take these surprising words and try to make them fit into a box or make them make sense because then you kind of, you lose the wonderful grace of it. It'd be kind of like if, if my wife and I, you know, we, we really, really love it. You're, I can see her up there. She really loves me. I'm seeing her nod. Yes. Um, and yet, if I asked her, or if she asked me, why do you love me? Is there any really good way to answer that? Right? Because if she asked me why I love her, and I start giving reasons, well, what if those reasons, you know, cease to happen. It's, oh, I love you because you're so funny and you laugh at my jokes and, and you're beautiful and, and, and uh, uh, you, you got a nice scarf on. Or if I say any reason, well, what if those disappear? Am I still going to love her? Yes, my love is deeper beyond any, I guess, reason. And her love for me is the same way. That's that agape love that you just can't understand. If you question it, you ruin it. You go too far. And with the Lord's Supper, Sometimes we want to kind of understand the exact details and put it into boxes and phrases, and, and Lutherans are famous for coming with words to describe it, but realize words that describe it don't explain it. Don't think this makes sense. Just marvel that it's wonderful and that it's absolutely true and that Jesus was not fooling. When he said, this is my body, this is my blood, given and poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins, He was not fooling. This concludes the first third of my sermon this evening. (laughs) April Fools. You see, you can't always trust my words, but the words I just said of Jesus, they're absolutely true, and you hear them again around the sacrament tonight. Just take them in and love them and marvel at them. Jesus' true body and blood, given and poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. The family meal is set. Amen. This message was a production of St. Marcus Lutheran Church. For similar content, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or our YouTube channel. For more information about how to support our urban gospel ministry in Milwaukee, please visit stmarcus.org.